I want to invite you to stand together as we join in um, hearing the Word of God. This morning we'll be looking at Romans chapter 6, verses 4, verse 6 to 11. That text is not printed for you in your bulletin, but I invite you to take your, your Bibles if you haven't and turn to that passage as we reflect on God's Word. Hear the Word of God. Therefore we were buried together with Him through baptism into His death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. This is what we know. The person that we used to be was crucified with Him in order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. That way we wouldn't be slaves to sin anymore. Because a person who has died has been freed from sin's power. But if we died with Christ, we have faith that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. He died to sin once and for all with his death, but he lives for God with his life. In the same way, you also should consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive for God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Please be seated. There's an outline for your your use this morning, and we hope that it'll be helpful as we look at God's Word together. Welcome to Easter. Worry, fear, hopelessness, death, you have no power here. You will not and you cannot break the spirit of the people who are here. Jesus Christ is alive, and he makes every person in here alive. It all started on the third day after the crucifixion of our Lord. Mary and some other women are making their way to the tomb early that Sunday morning. They, they don't expect anything. They're not hoping for anything other than for somebody to be there to help roll the stone away. They're going to anoint the body, which had not been permitted because it was Friday and the Sabbath. And so they make their way. When they get to the tomb, they are stunned because they discover to their amazement that the stone that was rolled in front of the entrance to the tomb was now rolled to the side. They're not sure how that happened, but they don't see anyone, and so they walk in a little bit closer and... Mary looks inside the tomb, and it's empty. She concludes, understandably, that somebody has stolen the body. And so her heart breaks again. But then, she turns around to leave. There's Jesus standing in front of her, very much alive. And he calls her by name, Mary. Jesus walked out of the tomb that first Easter Sunday morning. And he has never gone back to it. And to this day, he continues to call people by their name. 
He calls you by your name. Worry, fear, hopelessness, death. You have, you are no match for the glory and the truth and the power of Easter. So this morning, welcome to Easter. And my prayer and hope for you is that you will hear Him speak your name. And you will experience the power of this day. The last few Sundays, we have been talking about faith and how faith makes a difference in our lives. That faith in in God, our relationship with Christ, this faith that we have is not some idle religious sentiment that provides some solace or comfort, but faith is a real, tangible experience and reality in our lives that makes a huge difference in every aspect of our life. And we've been looking at how it does that. And it's... It's understandable that we conclude that conversation on Easter Sunday. You see, Easter has a powerful message about faith and about trust, about life and about death. But the story of Easter only has power for us, only has power in us and to us if we possess Faith in God and faith in Christ. You see, without a personal faith, Easter is nothing more than an interesting religious story, but nothing more. In fact, a person without faith, Easter for them essentially is no different than Groundhog Day. It just doesn't matter. But for us, For us who possess faith in this God, faith in Christ, faith elevates what Easter is about, helps us understand its message and its power, enables us to see that it is the central truth around which our lives are wrapped. And so the the question for today is the most important question of all that we've asked about faith. What difference does faith make in matters of life and death? Easter has a lot to say about life. It has a lot to say about death. Many years ago, I learned this dual message of Easter. I was about five years of age. And imagine my excitement as I woke up on Easter morning. And in addition to the usual chocolate bunny and colored eggs in my basket, I found a tiny little Real, living, little baby duck. It was beautiful. Little yellow feathers and webbed feet. I was mesmerized by this little duck. And I I loved the chocolate bunny, but it didn't hold a candle to the little duck. And I spent spent all Easter morning playing with that little duck. I I told Daddy, I don't want to go to church today. Let me just stay here and play with my duck. And and he wouldn't let me do that. And so all all Easter day, 
I played with that little duck. It was a symbol of me of, of, of life. and Boy, I loved it. Well, later that day, I learned a hard lesson about Presbyterians. You see, a few houses down from us lived the Presbyterian preacher. And he had a son named David, and we were both about five years of age. We were, we were good friends up until that day. Now, I don't know if it was because David was jealous that he didn't get a baby duck, or if he just wanted to be mean, or if he just thought for some reason my baby duck needed to be baptized. But all of a sudden, my little duck went missing. And I looked all around the house. I looked in the front yard. I looked in the backyard. I couldn't find him anywhere. And finally, I, I, I ran around to the side of the house, and there was David with my little duck holding it under the water spigot, turned on full force. My little duck didn't make it. I've not liked Presbyterians ever since. (laughs) Now, I couldn't understand it at the time, but I've since come to understand that Easter not only has a lot to say about life, it also has a lot to say about death. And our faith is what enables us to hear that message, to claim it, and to understand it. When Paul was writing to the Christians in Rome, he wanted them to know how faith, how Easter, made a difference in life and death. And so he shares some insights with them. And what I want to do is just to share those insights with you this morning. And there's just two things that I want you to take home today. What difference does faith make in life and death? Here's the first thing. Faith gives life to us. One thing, there's one thing that all of us in this room share in common. We want life to be meaningful. We want to live life to the fullest. We want, we want our life to matter. We want our life to have value. We want to understand as best we can what life is about. Nobody enables us to understand life more than Jesus Christ. And nothing accomplishes that more than faith in Christ. Faith gives life to us that is beyond, that is deeper, that is more profound than life we could know otherwise. Look at verse 4. Paul says to them and he says to us, Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. What is newness of life? It is a life of purpose. It is a life of deep and profound meaning. It's a life of value. It's a life 
in which we uh, know that our life matters. It's a life filled with joy and happiness and fulfillment. That's the life that faith begins to cultivate in us. To understand this next illustration, I'm going to have to ask you to use your imagination a bit. And I want you to imagine that you are a little child. And you are on your first visit to Disney World. Okay? Now you're in Disney World and you're walking around and the rides, the sounds, it's all just spectacular. This is incredible. You have never experienced anything so remarkable in your life. You are happier than you have ever been. Now, imagine that Walt Disney, the man who envisioned all of this, who created all of this, imagine that Walt Disney is your dad. He takes you around the park. And suddenly, this is no longer a theme park. This is now your backyard. You get to ride every ride that you want to ride. You get to go behind the scenes to see how all the rides function and how they were created. You get to go behind the scenes of all the shows and and, and meet the people. Uh, All the other kids have to stand in line and hope to see Snow White and Cinderella. You you know them on a first-name basis. You hang out with them and Pluto and Mickey all the time. Listen, because Walt Disney is your dad, you have some special privileges. You don't have to stay in that little boat when you're in that ride. It's a small, small world. You can get out of that boat. And you can walk all around up among those characters, you know. Did you ever want to do that? It is an amazing experience. You don't have to pay for anything because the place belongs to your dad. And that means it belongs to you. You're able to experience Disney World more intimately, more incredibly than anybody else. Why? Your dad owns it. He created it. He knows it better than anybody else. Now, that's something of how faith works in our life when it comes to experiencing life in this world. You see, you experience life deeper. You experience it with greater joy and understanding because faith tells you that this is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is King. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. You see, faith brings to your understanding that this is your Father's world. He created it. He understands it. He knows it better than anybody else. And by faith, you're linking your life with His, and He's taking you hand in hand and leading you through it. 
Listen, you're going to experience it at levels that would otherwise you never would have known. Last week I was I was stunned by images of um, Cuba on, on television as uh, different news organizations covered the president's visit. I, I was amazed at the, the, the conditions of, of the country. And I thought about this. Cuba has everything it needs to be a paradise. Tropical weather, crystal clear ocean, beautiful white sandy beaches, fertile soil to grow crops and food. It's got everything it needs to be paradise, but it is basically an island prison. Its infrastructure is collapsing. Its streets and its buildings are deplorable. Why? Because the one in charge, because of the one in charge and policies that have resulted in that land never becoming what it could be. Let me tell you, when life was given to you, whatever it was, it was intended that that life would become full and beautiful and lived with purpose and value and depth. Whether or not that happens depends on who's in charge. If you're in charge of your life, if you're directing, if you're sitting at the throne of your heart and your life, you are possibly risking understanding the very meaning and purpose of life as it's meant to be. When Jesus is put in charge and you live by faith in Him, life will be experienced as it's meant to be. Not perfect, but purposeful. Not empty, but full. Not shallow, but deeply satisfying. Not pain-free, but empowered to get you through times of pain. You see, the quest for life begins and ends in Jesus Christ. And the depth to which you experience life depends upon the depth of your faith in Him. E. Stanley Jones was a great missionary to India years ago. And he tells of of one day a doctor uh, who was dying. Uh, A friend of the doctor, uh, another doctor himself, a Christian, sat next to this man's bedside and talked to him about Jesus and encouraged him to surrender his heart and make Christ Lord of his life. And as the Christian doctor was sharing with his friend, uh, the dying man listened intently, and uh, it was obvious that the witness was making a difference. And then it's as though a light went off in his head, and the dying man said this, All my life I have been bothered by what to believe. 
And now I see it is whom to trust. Oh, that we might come to understand that by faith. In the prime of our life, rather than in the final moments of life. So that's the first thing I want to say to you this morning. Faith brings life, gives life to us. And here's the second thing Paul says. Faith takes death from us. No sooner has Paul talked about this newness of life that we can experience than he talks about, he offers them good news about death. Look what he says in verse 9. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. And then later Jesus would remind us that neither does death have power over us. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. Larry King is a celebrity in the news media. And uh, recently he was giving an interview to the New York Times magazine. And in that interview, he confessed his obsession with death. He, he fears it. He's in panic of it. He talks about it all the time. Uh, he's so anxious about death that he's currently taking high-growth hormones four times a day just to extend his life as long as possible. But that's not all he's done. In case of his death, he has ordered that his body is to be frozen. The cryonics approach. His body's going to be frozen so that 50 years from now, 100 years from now, whenever, if scientists ever find a cure for death, they can thaw out his body and he can just pick up right where he left off. Now, Larry King goes on to say, he says, you know, there's really no proof that any of this works, but if I'm frozen, then at least I will die with some shred of hope. And he goes on to say, other people will have no hope. What Larry King doesn't understand is that the cure for death has already been achieved. Jesus conquered death when he arose on Easter morning. And the power that rose him rises to life, all of us who by faith live and believe and trust in him. One of the saddest experiences of my life was a number of years ago when I sat with a mother and a father, a grandmother and a grandfather, as they sat in four chairs, knee to knee to knee, and across their laps lay the seven-year-old unconscious body of their daughter and granddaughter, Courtney. Courtney and my son Tyler were best of friends. Now Courtney is clinging, hanging on to life, but she's unconscious. The reason she's there is the day before, uh, she and her dad were riding around having some fun in their uh, 
in their older car as they were driving through a mud puddle in a in an open field where there had been lots of mud because of all the rain. And in the process, they got stuck. And so her daddy got out of the car to go find some help. But what he did not understand was that the exhaust pipe of the car was clogged with mud and the engine was still running. And so within minutes, little Courtney's life went limp and she was totally unconscious. Now she's at Scottish Rite Hospital. There's no hope, the doctors tell us. She has no brain function. And so that, those four people, with that little girl stretched across their lap, they stroked her hair, they kissed her cheeks, they, they caressed her hands, and they just waited for her to die. When it was obvious that she didn't have much longer to live. I stepped out of the room so the family could have some privacy. And as I walked down the hall, I have to confess, I was overwhelmed with, with, with anger and bitterness at God. And I lashed out at God. God, this makes no sense. There's nothing just about this. Why does this little girl have to die? And God reminded me in those moments what I knew but I really didn't want to hear. That as wonderful as this life is, this life is not God's ultimate will and plan for us. What we do here on this earth is but the practice round, the dress rehearsal for the real life that is to come. And that God's ultimate plan for us is not just 40 or 50 or 60 or even 7 years on this planet, but God's ultimate will and desire for us is that we spend eternity with Him forever. In only a matter of a few more minutes, Courtney's heart stopped beating. She took her last breath and she was gone. But three days later at her funeral, the same four people and myself and hundreds of others gathered Yes, to mourn her death, but even more so to celebrate and affirm her new life. Because you see, little Courtney, even at seven years of age, knew Jesus, loved Jesus, believed in Jesus, and therefore we have every confidence that she was living with Jesus right then, that moment. Now, I know not everybody believes that. I understand. But our faith does not depend on what others say. Our faith depends on what Jesus said. And what he said was pretty clear. Those who live and believe in me will never die. I want to say to you this morning, you may have loved ones who have died in the Lord. This Easter morning, I want you to hear this. They are more alive today than you are. They are no longer with you, but they are with Christ. Faith 
has taken death from them, and they are more alive today than ever. Don't take my word for it. Take his. And what Christ has done for them, one day, He will do for you. Faith takes death from us. It enables us to experience eternity with God. Does faith make a difference in how we experience life and how we view death? Listen, nothing makes a bigger difference. So welcome to Easter. The day that makes life amazing and the day that makes death impossible. Let's pray together. Lord, perhaps the masses of people today, and maybe some perhaps here, Easter will be an interesting story, but nothing more. Because it's only by faith that its message can be heard and understood and comprehended and applied to our life. So God, I just pray that as people of faith today, we will understand what that faith can do. And we see it played out so profoundly on Easter Sunday. It gives life to us. It takes death from us. Oh God, may we experience power of this day. And may our lives be lived differently because of it. In the name and spirit of Christ we pray. Amen.